Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. An entrepreneur, talk show, radio host, singer, songwriter, producer, and director from our neighboring country just up north in Canada. Also loves to play hockey. Is what and where today's guest on In a Mississippi Minute gets his inspiration. A man does his things his own way. Please welcome Frank D'Angelo. Hey, Frank, what's up? Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, everything's great. You know, the sun is shining. Feeling pretty good. Oh. You know, um, we actually, uh, talking about hockey, we just finished a hockey movie and, uh, with Danny Aiello and uh, Tom Bowers and uh, Michael Parade. It's called The Last Big Save. All NHL guys played in the movie. Wow, it's uh, it's very, very very cool. I love hockey. I've been playing. Well, that's our national sport. I've been playing since I was five. Wow, and you and you and you said you, I know that we've had previous conversations. You play every Wednesday still. I I play. I used to play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and four times on Sunday. Now I'm down to three times a week. You know, down where I grew up in Mississippi, that that we we just didn't have hockey. <laughs> but but I got to tell you, my brother and I years ago when we were in Nashville uh, doing the Nashville thing before we moved back, I think he won the lottery for the fir- when we got the pred- preds. He won the lottery to pick the first seats, four seats in the entire arena, and he picked them right behind uh, the right next to the penalty box of the opposing team and on the ice. And so, you know, we got to see all the people above us just raising cane when a guy got in a penalty box. It was it was always very entertaining, you know, and uh had to cover our kids' ears a little bit when they were three and four, but other than that it was uh it was pretty fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, our hockey players love to swear. It is what it is, but Yeah, fans love to swear a little more actually. Pretty interesting. Well it's, it's an you know, I'm I mean uh in the United States, there's a lot of competition for hockey because there's baseball and then there's college sports. Mm-hmm. There's no country in the world that has a fan base for, for uh, college sports like the United States of America. So, the, you know, hockey has had a lot of competition, but now it's pretty well entrenched, even in Nashville, uh, you know, the fans in Nashville and Las Vegas now. Yep. So I, I love the game, and I will play till I can play no more. I mean, eventually, all of us become a picture. So, yeah. <laughs> as long as we're still uh, animated, <laughs> I would, uh, I, I do whatever I can do. I'm, you know, I'm in great shape. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, not uh, old yet, in my view. And uh, 
And in Canadian, in metric, I'm still 19, <laughs> if I calculated my age. <laughs> I love it. I love, and you're just coming back from uh, from working out and playing hockey right now. Do you guys go – do you all go full at it, or what's the speed? Well, you know you know what? Um, on Wednesday mornings, a lot of guys over 60, there's guys – you know, in their fifties, guys in their forties, but there's they all can play. So, and everybody thinks that there's uh, uh, scouts in the stands, and they're going to get a shot at the, the big league. So, they, <laughs> everybody wants to score a goal. So, if you're a goalie, and that's what I am, you, you, you play when you play pickup hockey, you're going to get three billion shots because everybody wants to score a goal. Nobody wants to stop uh, um, play defensive. It. Yeah, so we, we, we love it. You know, I, I got a place in Tampa, Florida. I'm best friends with Phil Esposito. I've known him since I was eight years old. And, uh, you know, I skate with him every once in a while. And he's 75, and he can still fly. That's amazing. And so, he's still, so do you think that the fact that you're on ice, um, do you think that that's I – mean, I mean, like my basketball days, I realized when my son started getting really physical – um, and in his, in his high school years, it was it was tough on me, right? And we used to play, uh, you know, religiously a couple times a week in Nashville, and then all of a sudden it started to hurt. You know what I mean? Like physically on ice, if you're skating, is it a dip? Does it give you a sort of a break with your body? No, no. If you're not in good shape, you know, a lot of guys can get a, have a heart attack. I mean, it's a high, high. I played basketball from the age of fourteen forever. At the same church where I grew up, uh, I went to a Catholic school, St. Right. Philip. They had a rectory, and we played basketball there. But I had to stop because it was it was it was either that or hockey. I, I even gave up baseball. It was hard on my knees. Right, very and, hard and, on you know, the knees. Right, right. I grew it's, up. It's very and hard on your back. So, like hockey, you. I would say, out of all the sports that are out there, you have to be in very good physical shape because if you're not, you, somebody's going to you know going to have a heart attack. Or you're going to blow a knee, or you're going to blow a shoulder. I mean, you're using every aspect of your body when you're playing hockey. Wow! So it's a great sort of a great workout when you continue to play hockey. Do you have to work uh, out? I love how we start and talk about this because it's something I don't know about, and probably a lot of my listeners don't know as well. When you're when you're playing continuous hockey and getting that workout, do you have to do anything else on the side to build muscle and all what? that as well? Well, you. You need to be in decent shape if you're you're looking for trouble. Like a lot of these guys that play hockey once a week, and then after they play the game, they go eat two, two, two three pounds of chicken wings, yeah, yeah. and and drink a, a jug of beer. That, you know, a heart attack is knocking on your door. If for me, you know, I grew up with hockey. I think hockey is the only sport where you um, exercise every aspect of your humanity, your brain, your eyes, your muscles. You have to, it's a split-second game. It's extremely fast. So your, your, your senses, not only your, your physical aspect of your muscles and your body, your senses have to be back on or if you're playing a competitive uh, pickup. If you're playing where everybody's standing around and they can't skate, then who gives a shit? Wow, I'm I just telling it. you. Yeah. yeah, you know what? I, Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, even in your neck of the woods, you guys are getting rinks. People are, uh, like Tampa, Florida, who would have thought ever? There's rinks everywhere in Tampa, Florida now. Yeah. People are building rinks. Yeah, I know, I know, and I know. I know. Well, we grew up roller skating as kids, but we, you know, down here in the Mississippi Delta, where we are, uh, it's uh, where I am. It's uh, there's no ice. Let's just say there is zero ice. I have a pond every once in a while. It gets frozen over, and you see the birds walking on top. But other than that, 
you know, the Eakridge sport are just kind of wondering where the water is. You know, they're all of a sudden, they're skating, and maybe they're playing hockey. We're talking to Frank D'Angelo. He just got back from a great workout. You know, our buddy, we talked uh, about my our dear friend. I've had him on my radio show, Grant Fuhr. He's got the making of Coco, the documentary, coming out as well. And I, I know that the support of hockey fans in general for great hockey players like Grant, um, Phil Esposito, like you're talking, I mean, it's the names that people know that aren't even hockey fans. And so I'm sure that obviously for the fans, it's going to be a great, I mean, everybody's going to be, can't wait to watch these films. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I love that. It's like if we did Brett Favre here in the States, uh, the making of Brett Favre, you know. <laughs> People, you know, all of us football fans will be all over it. But uh, it's good to see you guys. Exactly. That's a great analogy. I mean, Grant Fuhrer, he's got a ton of Stanley Cup rings. He was the goalie for the greatest, one of the greatest hockey players that ever played the game, Wayne Gretzky. Right. And, um, and uh, you know, and he's a very nice man. Uh, Grant Fuhrer is a very good human being. Yeah, He's I know. the most and humble guy I've ever seen in my life. I totally, I totally agree with you. I mean, we wonder. I, I, I try to rattle him every once in a while. We're, we play a lot of golf, and uh, he, he comes down to our charity event every year down here, and, and he just always smiles. And I'm going like, man, you know? Because <laughs> you no, know. He's, a, <laughs> he's the Perry Cuomo of goalies. I mean, <laughs> most I goalies are whacked in the head, and they're very – like, I know Tony Esposito very well, and, and you know, I I've known, I played goal because of Tony Esposito because I, I was a big fan when I was a kid. But Tony Esposito, according to Phil and everybody, was a psycho. You couldn't speak to him before a game. He didn't want to talk to anybody. He was very weird. Right, so. right. Well, I, I guess to each his own and how you get prepared uh, to play, and, and especially when you're at the goal tender position, I guess it's uh, – yeah, and the personalities are probably a wide range. We're talking to Frank D'Angelo. Frank, I, I appreciate you taking the time to do a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. We're going we're gonna to have a great time. I want to talk about you growing up and then how you got into the beverage business. Now, I want to, I mean, you had, uh, you created this, is it a Steelback Brewery, right? We had the brewery. I, don't, I no longer have the brewery. I had sold it to my partner's son. Uh, but I, I, I picked, it was either hockey as a career or music. So I went on the road, um, and I'm a musician, right? just like yourself, um, you know, singer, songwriter. And um, when I got back from being on the road five years, and the road sucks. Anyways, for me, it did. I didn't like it. I, uh, I did not like being on the road, living in a suitcase. And I had an epiphany. We played in Edmonton. We, uh, we, uh, we were following this band, and Ray Charles had played in this place called Lucifer's. And there was a band called, actually, they were called Mississippi. And they, they were an American band, and they were they were like um, played the same type of music as the Eagles, uh, um, the same uh, as Poco, you know that uh, rock. We yeah. called it rockabilly or uh, rock country rock. But they were the most amazing musicians I ever saw in my life, and they had been on the road thirty four years. Yeah. So I said to myself, "Forget that. I ain't gonna do that." So I came back and uh, went back to school and cut my hair and. And um, started a little business, and I used to go down to Windsor from Toronto, which is about a four-hour drive. Yeah, outside by Detroit, right? I've been there many times. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Canadian city, uh, uh, car, you know, car town, and right across Detroit. I used to pick up ten skids of apple juice, and then I'd sell skid by skid, and that's how I started my business. Hmm. And that was, geez, that was thirty years ago. Wow, we're talking to Frank D'Angelo. You are in a Mississippi minute. We're going to continue as he's rolling through Canada. We'll be right back.
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're in a Mississippi Minute with Canadian-born prodigy of all things, just finishing up a good sweat playing hockey, Frank D'Angelo. Frank, let's dig into. Let's continue to talk about music before we talk about your films. I mean, your your and and your radio show, your talk show. I mean, you're you're all over entertainment. You're wrapped around it from even the days of your beverage days. It's all about entertaining. I love that, and it seems to mold and and be your sort of your makeup. So let's talk about music. I know that you make records with uh, Mike Reno and Loverboy. I'm obviously anybody in in the states or around the world uh, knows when they're working for the weekend. Take me through sort of um, when the love affair of music started and a lot of the projects that you're doing. Well, when I was growing up, um, I was always singing, and I. My dad, you know, God rest his soul, is my best friend. I um, he wanted me to just be uh, get an education, but I played hockey and I I played in a wedding band and uh, and you know I loved I loved the music. Uh, I I started writing from a very early age. I felt more comfortable singing the tunes that came out of my soul of my mind. Anyways, we took the, that band and we went on the road, and I found it very difficult. You know, I've always had big bands, you know, brass section, yeah. backup singers. I, I found it very difficult to be with 14 people 24 hours a day. I felt it tough enough to be a psychiatrist for myself, <laughs> let alone to be a, a, a psychologist for 13, 14 people. And when you're the leader of the band, I'm sure you know, Steve, yeah. it is, it's very difficult because, uh, you know, musicians, I'm generalizing, they just want to sleep and they want to party, and they want to play, and they don't care about the other stuff. Right. And, and, and it's a business if you want to stay alive. If you want to do it as a hobby, you stay home. But if you're on the road... But, but anyways, I, I, um, I, music has basically been my fundamental foundation of writing movie scripts. That, like, I write the soundtrack first, and then I write the story for Come the Come on. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a... You know, I got a very cool... I got a great band. I got some of the best musicians in Canada. And then, then we, you know, nine years ago, a, a national network in Canada says, Frank, you know, I did my own commercials and stuff. Why don't you have your own talk show? So it says, I'm not going to do a, a cheap little talk show. If we're going to do a talk show, it's got to be big. So I got an 18-piece band, just like any late-night show in, in the States. And, and I come out. I've interviewed Al Pacino, Tony Bennett, the great Paul Newman. So, you know, we've been... We've been very blessed. I opened up for Kenny Rogers. I opened up for the the Real Temptations. I opened up for Gino Vanelli. I um, I I opened up for Loverboy, and that's how me and Mike Reno became friends. And I said, Mike, I wrote this song called "You Got to Believe to Believe," and I want to give the proceeds to breast cancer because my buddy's wife just got diagnosed. So he flew from Vancouver on his own dime. He didn't, you know, jumped in a studio and we recorded it, and then we went and got drunk, which yeah. is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking to Frank D'Angelo. I love this. So now, do you and do you and uh, Mike uh, get to play it all together still, or or is it just making you know, records? Uh, we made that record. We, we talk every once in a while. Mikey has got a, a very popular radio show in uh, Vancouver. He's God in Vancouver. You know, Loverboy was was a huge band for for Canada, like a lot of hits. And uh, you know, Mike goes out and they, they do the casino gigs. Yeah, and they they make fifty thousand dollars for a night, which is not bad for the boys, right? Or right. more, I don't know. But but uh, 
you know, Loverboy is a Canadian institution, but their music bled into the United States and in Europe and in Germany. Yes, yeah, global. So, yeah, yeah, they're 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 very cool. And like you said, you're very perceptive when you write a weekend anthem or a Monday uh, Monday being the worst day uh, of the week or Friday. If if you click with people, then it becomes their song. No, and, it does. I believe. Uh, it does. Music you know, is melancholy. You know, the funny thing is, uh, of all of, of my hits, it, it just it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, we get these reports back, and and my my I don't have to be meet on Monday is 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 closing in on American Pie as far as radio play, terrestrial radio play. We're talking about you know, away from streaming, away from all, all those streams are crazy. But the bottom line is, and it just it never ceases to amaze me because I'm going. It was so simple. You know what I mean, but but uh, and and as a songwriter, I don't know if you if you ever experienced this. Anything that I've had success with, I wrote myself to the title, so it's not like the titles were there. I mean, I think I don't have to be me on Monday. I remember it being I'm free or some stupid. It meant nothing, and then all of a sudden that came flying out of my head, and and it, I think that. It was something I would have never said in my entire life, and I apologized when I said it, but it was the right thing. And it's, it's funny when you when you practice so much at writing songs, and you and you do it pretty good, but you don't do it great. You know, sometimes you just from the practice itself, you leave your mind a little bit, and when that's where the good stuff comes. When you're sort of not thinking through it, do you feel like when you're writing that train of thought that just takes over? It's your subconscious. Do you feel like sometimes that that's where your good stuff comes from? Well, well, for, for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna be brutally honest with myself and and your beautiful show. I used to sit down and write. With you know, I'm not a great guitar player, but I play enough chords to write and a little bit of piano. But I, when, my, when I was a kid, I played a clarinet and bass clarinet, and I, I played that forever. But when I write now, it's completely different. Before, I used to take a piece of paper, guitar, and chord. I don't do that anymore. We write an album in one night, and the way I do it is I sit in the studio with a Johnny Walker Blue, a very good friend of mine. He can get along <laughs> very good, and we, we're very relaxed. And usually, me and my piano player. Uh, we'll go after dinner first, and then I'll, I'll hear a melody in my head, and we lay down a melody, and then we lay down some bed tracks, and then I'll go inside the booth, and the words come to me, and I can hear the rhythm, it's the groove, it's, you know, the melody is, is the personality of the song, right. without the, just like a human being, you know, the most popular human beings are the ones with personality, same with a song, huh. even though it's unfortunate now that no matter how great of a writer you are, the only way you're going to make enough money uh, to buy bacon is live performance because oh, yeah. you're not going to make money selling songs. No, no, because what's happened is, and we, I, I'm going to be a broken record on, pardon the pun, on my own show, but the truth is that what's happened is back in the days of when even you had a, re, a song that was on an album uh, that did, wasn't a single on the radio but sold a million copies, there was 90 grand there. And if you had a couple songs on the record, it was 180 grand. And then if you got a single, then you had that half a million, boom, boom. And then you had this end result that just sort of faded off into the sunset. And you could sell that. The more, the more success you had, but now the, the albums themselves, 99.9% uh, .9 of the artists, unless you're Taylor Swift, you know, or something like that, you're not selling anything. So uh, they're powerful enough and big enough and strong enough to wait on streaming, wait on all that, and just put their record out for sale first. And people have to have it. They don't want to wait. You yeah, know? yeah, but, but Steve, Steve, I disagree. Even if you're Taylor Swift, you're not selling out to music. If you're, you see, I believe, I believe that music is is marketing. 
for your brand. And so Taylor Swift uh, puts out the song, and it promotes her even more. And then she gets a million bucks a concert. So if she does three shows a week, that's three million bucks. Oh no, I agree. She, I, you're not allowed. You're and, not. And that's Frank, what it, You're not allowed to disagree with me on my own radio show. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. I'm I will I'm text kidding. you a long apology. <laughs> I'm just saying to you, is music now has become your moniker as an advertiser, right? If if you can you can get hit the hits on your YouTube and you get the you know the because if you make people pay for the music they're not going to pay because there's too much free music on Spotify on YouTube but that music is you and they can't steal your live performance and that's where the Taylor Swifts and 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 all of the, uh, the people who still make huge or Bon Jovi Bon Jovi hasn't had a new album in a long time but he still makes huge money. Right. Doing, doing concerts. Right, I'm going to agree with you on all of that, but but I'm going to say this. It's always been about advertising for you at the bottom line because you could sell merchandise and you could go and you could play exactly. live. It's right. always been about live, but what's happening now is labels are tapping into that because they have to. So unless you're Taylor, I mean, she's about to make the biggest record deal in the history of of uh, of our of our music business, it's because she's me leaving Big Machine. Her contract expires. I know those guys. I worked with with those guys that started uh, Big Machine. I know the whole story. I know how they were struggling for a second. I know when it happened. I know boom, bam, all that. And uh, now she's going to go, and she's going to make a big deal with somebody who's going to give her a lot of upfront money. It's going to be interesting to see how much they publicize. I love okay. it. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna. I love this conversation we're having. This is the this is uh it's it's very uh, uh well, I'm looking for a word, but we'll figure it out in a minute. But you get to play DJ because you've talked about the band. Uh, I guess your deal, Mississippi. I love that. Love hearing about that. We are the birthplace of American music. So many styles and genres have been influenced by where I grew up. It's just an amazing place when it comes to the, to this art form and many art forms. So play DJ. Would you like to hear a little Jimmy Buffett? Our little Albert King. Albert King. We're with Frank D'Angelo. You're in the Mississippi Minute. He has spoken. We'll be right back. Born on the bad side. I've been down since I began to crawl. If it wasn't for bad love, I tell you I wouldn't have no luck at all. Hey folks, if you're tired of being tired because your pillow isn't doing his job at night, give my buddy Chad and his team at OmniPillow a go. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy, and listen to this. They will donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal is to give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. You'll thank me, I promise. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar. That's OmniPillow.com, promo code Steve Azar, and you'll receive 20% off with free shipping. If you ask me, there's no better pillow on the planet. I wonder why sometimes I cry. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I wonder all the time. I'm Steve Azar. We are with the fabulous Frank D'Angelo. The guy's done it all. And I want to talk about your films right now. Uh, Canadian-born. He loves his hockey still. Still playing three times a week. 
uh, and and uh, and he's feeling younger than ever. I love it, Frank. Tell me why the music. First of all, I love the fact that you make music and then you make the movie. I've never heard of such. I always felt like music has always you got to accompany. It's always the accompanying. It's like the guest of anything that we do in our lives. Everybody's got a soundtrack. Everything's got a soundtrack. You start with the soundtrack and then you write the movie. Take me through the process. Tell me about some of the films that's coming out that you have coming out soon, and and, and some of the ones that have really done well for you. Well, you know, uh, we made a movie in 2013 called Real Gangsters. Very raw. Uh, cost me a couple of million bucks. That was a very small budget movie. Mm-hmm. And we, the, so I wrote this very cool soundtrack. And one of our big songs is called Dreamer. It was very successful for us. But, but the, like, what you said is very perceptive. We all have our own soundtrack when we're walking every day. We hear it in our heads. And, well, at least I do. And I just think for me, so when I wrote the script to Real Gangsters, I went to California because nobody knew me as a filmmaker. But I, I wanted to, so I went to see Robert Lodge, the great Robert Lodge of Magnificent. You know, he was in The Sopranos. One of his biggest movies was Big with Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Um, a ton of movies, and I brought him the script, and because I felt his character was it, and I went and uh, John Savage and Michael Prick. But the story. Uh, the story, in, for me, emulated from the music. And for me, I, I can close my eyes when I write a song, and a story will come. Because music is melancholy. It knocks on your soul. And if you can make somebody remember something of their past or a, a moment in their life, then you've succeeded as a songwriter. So so we, Real Gangsters was great for us. In fact, my first movie is turning into a TV series for a major network, and we're going to start shooting in November. Wow. And um, and then we made a, another movie right after that called The Big Fat Stone, which which uh, about a homeless guy. It's very hard to explain. But the music was the one that inspired me about the whole story. So, you know, we're on our 10th. This year we made three movies and one animation. And uh, and now we're going to a TV series. And, and the movie part of our business has become very big. And, I mean, if Sicilian Vampire costs us $16 million to make, and that's with James Caan, Paul Servino, Robert Davi, huge star-studded movie, Daryl Hannah, and that was a big movie for us, huge. When you're... And our, all our movies... I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. keep going. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was, I was going to tell you that our movies are distributed by 20th Century Fox. Okay, so, so I want to understand something real quick. When you get in this day and age, because in the film world as well, box office is, is, is falling... Uh, like it's 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 chasing uh, the music industry, right? It's by it's, it's we always as musicians and songwriters always felt and artists always felt like the mu- the movie business was the big brother that was going to protect us. I never agreed with that, but but we had a team of people that did and in, in, in powerful places with us, and they just sat there and watched as the Napsters and everybody sort of started and taken over. Okay, so that's what it was. But the movie business is also turning into what the music business is doing, which is fine. So when you have all these Paul Savino and all these great actors, James Caan, in movies. Uh, how do you? I mean, how do you pay them? Because are 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 they used to getting paid less now? They get back in. I want to understand when you. Oh no! Yeah, you got to pay them the money that they want, and they got to. And the other thing is, when you get guys like that who've made a lot of money, who still have cachet in their name, they got to like the script. If they don't like the script, right. they won't do the movie. So so so. But in a movie, going back to what you said, for independent movie makers, mm-hmm. or. 
you're right about the theaters. Theaters, that experience is getting smaller and smaller. But Apple TV has become a monster. Amazon's become a monster. Google TV has become a monster. And, and that's a great place. They need content. They need to have 20, 30, 40,000 titles. So if you're a filmmaker and you've got distribution and you're making decent movies, you got, you're going to make money. Wow. You're going to make it. money. I love it. I love it. Well, you're, you sound like you're very good at making money. A lot of, lot of artists, a lot of artists, people that, that create art uh, like you do, aren't the best at it. So you seem like that. I think that, that, that you've got that side that you get. It's like I, I can't help but think about you had all these band members on the road and you, you were the shrink, which I get. I totally get it. Oh, even for my tour manager at times, I've got to be the shrink. You know, I'm going like, it's okay. It's not a big problem. You know, they'll come when we have a big problem. It's never a big problem, you know. But And I love them. But it's interesting. You do play like. You do play like Big Daddy and, a, and meets a psychiatrist, you know, <laughs> at all times. 100%. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, I, I wrote some notes down because you brought something up uh, a second ago. Uh, I don't know. I, no, I want to I understand. You said you, there was a long story about the homeless. Uh, I'm just curious about uh, – I love the inspiration behind anything that makes you go spend money and bet on, and bet on something. It sounds like that, that was uh, – uh, you said it's a long story, but – we got time. I, I want to hear the inspiration behind oh, uh, uh, my, uh, it. It won a ton of uh, awards at film festivals. There's a cute movie called The Big Fat Stone. And it's a story about a, a homeless guy who who um, is at the right place at the right time or maybe the wrong place at the wrong time. And I'm not going to give you the spoiler, but he's sleeping in a park. These guys rob an uh, art gallery of uh, the largest emerald, 18,000 carats. And the cops... The, the alarm went off, and the cops are really close, so they get rid of the, 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 this emerald, and they throw it over this fence, and it lands on this homeless guy. <laughs> and the, the story, he wakes up, and it shows the goodness in him. He, he's got a guy who runs a pawn shop who gives him money every day to feed him and, and, and likes this guy. He's an older guy. And he brings this uh, emerald to this guy and becomes very rich, but he, he's given his money to everybody to help everybody. And I, like, I usually play, you know, the tough guy, the gangster. So when we, I, was, I wrote the script, I, I wanted to get somebody else to play the homeless guy. But everybody says, you got to do this, Frank. So I got dressed up in the character, and I walked around in a place where everybody knows who I am. And I said, if somebody says Frank D'Angelo, then I'm not going to do it. But no, nobody spotted me. In fact, um a couple of guy, homeless guys in front of the Salvation Army were screaming and yelling at the camera guys who were filming me because they thought that they were taking advantage of me. Wow. So it was, it was very cool. Um, but it's, I would say out of all the movies that I've made, The Big Fat Stone uh, nails me in the heart. There's my rendition of, uh, um, I did one cover tune on that called uh, from uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but I did it in an R&B uh, Motown style. And I just love it. And, I, and it was one of the last great movies that Robert Lodge made. He played a priest in it. And uh, I, I just connected with the movie and the soundtrack. And, uh, and it, you know, it's, on, it's everywhere. It's on Apple. It's on Amazon. It's on Google. It's on all the providers. Right. And now it's, I hear it's coming to ABC or, and NBC from, uh, from Fox. So. Hey, did, did, did Motown influence you at all? Frank, it sounds oh, like maybe it did. Oh, I I grew up uh, I grew up in Toronto, and uh, Buffalo Station uh, bled into Toronto. So I grew up with 
listen to Temptation, uh, Aretha Franklin, The Spinners, The Four Tops, um, uh, Sly and the Family Stones, oh, uh, I just, uh, Otis Redding. I, I love, I love that kind of music. I'm a big fan of Joe Cocker. I, I'm a Motown guy, and all my music, I don't know if you've heard any of my music. I have, I it's love all, it. It's all big band, uh, very Motownish. They, they are soul. They are the soul of, uh, you know, I don't understand. I don't want to, you know, diss any of the new music, the rap and stuff, but I just don't get it. You know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Neanderthal in my way of thinking. <laughs> But I just don't. I just don't get it. I'm, I'm still, I'm still in in love, enamored with a, a song that has a, a beginning, a story, a melody, a big production. You know, I'm right. I'm still, I'm I'm that way. That's, I, I think Taylor Swift is extremely talented. She's she's uh, she's got a great voice and she's she's got a great persona and she's got a, a great uh, a great storytelling. You know, and yeah. Shania Twain did the same thing. Shania Twain connected with people with her uh, storytelling, but I'm a Motown guy. Like I, I used to when I when we used to play in Detroit or we used to play in uh, in the bars. Um, our audience, our audience was a completely different audience than our age group. I was a kid when I was on stage. It's a completely different audience because the word got out the kind of music we were playing, and everybody, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy. The the amount of people that would come to see us and the age group and the demographics that they were. Wow, we're talking to Frank D'Angelo. You are in a Mississippi Minute. We're going to continue as he's rolling through Canada. We'll be right back. Saving you money, I'm Linda Bell with the Fox Business Network. Every celebrity isn't a big spender. Christopher Tracy, president at Envelopes, says there are lessons we can learn from the rich and famous. Warren Buffett still lives in the home he bought in 1958 for $31,000. In an HBO documentary, the billionaire said on most days he never spends more than $3.17 on breakfast at McDonald's. When your income increases, your spending should not. Singer Ed Sheeran told the Irish Examiner he gives himself a monthly allowance. And while some celebrities overspend on their cars, Tracy says actor Leonardo DiCaprio is known to drive a Toyota Prius. When you do that, you can save a lot of money in terms of just the overall expense that you have. Tracy also points to actress Kristen Bell, who has said she only spent $142 on her wedding. There's usually a lot more that you can do to celebrate the occasion and spend less. And I think Kristen represents that very well. Saving you money, I'm Linda Bell, Fox News. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're in a Mississippi Minute with... Canadian-born prodigy of all things. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the, the your last movie that you made, uh, or one of the last. It may not be uh, the last big save. Tell me, talk to me about that. Well, it's a, it's the story of a, of a guy who got a large contract from a from a hockey team, and he flushed his career down the toilet by substance abuse and and uh, drugs. So the owner of the team, a multi-billionaire played by Danny Aiello. Um, uh, didn't you know? Just kept paying him. He got he got a long term contract. So now they're going to Game Seven. 
uh, of the championship. They hadn't been in uh, in that in 30 years, and uh, all of their goalies, their minor league goalies, and their their main goalies are all hurt or they're sick. And uh, the owner wants to give this guy a chance to play because by rules in professional hockey, you either got to dress somebody on your roster or somebody's got to be on your team. You can't go get another goalie for a championship game. So you got to maybe dress a defenseman as a goalie. So he goes on his journey to find this guy uh, that he's still paying, and uh, he talks him into going to play this game seven. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, talent. Dennis Hall is one of the coaches uh, on the other team. And uh, it's, we, we, the, the footage of the actual hockey game is incredible. I used uh, 14 cameras, uh, three drones, and uh, like it's just like watching a regular hockey game on television. I love it. And uh, I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I think uh, the soundtrack is probably the best music I've written up to date in my life. And, and uh, the, the, the title track is You're Much Better Than That. And I love it. Uh, did you write the, yeah. uh, once in Staying True to Form, did you write the music first and the songs? I wrote the music, I directed it, uh, I produced it. Uh, you know, most of the people have uh, worked on me, with me for other movies, so they know how I work. Um, I work fast, I'm very well, we very well planned uh, thing. But the last big save is, uh, uh, you know, I'm getting a lot of pressure from 20th Century Fox to hurry up and finish it, because not only do you have to shoot the movie, post is very tedious. Right. It's every day you're looking at footage, and you're. It's, it's so it's going to take me 30 days to cut it, and it'll take probably another 30 days to mix the sound, which Deluxe does. And uh, so hopefully, and you know, you'll you'll be able to come to the first premiere with your brother, who I love. Wow, I, I know. love your brother, my brother Joe, baby. Every, every you know, listen, everybody loved him more than me on the road. They would they would go, hey Steve, great to see you. Where's your brother? <laughs> <laughs> but Joe's uh, Joe's uh, the most genuine, <laughs> humble man I've ever met, and Joe's very charismatic. Yeah, oh, he is. Where'd you meet? Where'd you guys meet? I we met. Uh, they uh, I, a gentleman contacted me about coming to Mississippi on the Delta and putting a plant down there. And um, the first meeting when I came down there, I met Joe. I and love it. Joe was Joe sat beside me, and I you know. It's, I'm one of those guys, there's no one between, there's no gray area. I either like somebody or I don't. And if I don't, I can't be phony. Right, you know, right, I mean, right, right. Well, everybody that's ever met Joe loves him, so it's, it, trust me, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, man, I, it, was, it was interesting. Radio, I think we got, you know, it's just, he's always been that guy. He also can cook, he can find cardboard in, in like, uh, in a cupboard and turn it into like this you know, great mill. <laughs> He's always been the guy to do like, we're going like, where'd you find that? Yeah, I didn't see anything in the cupboard, you know? So, and he was my yeah. oldest brother. He was always cooking for us growing up. And, and, uh, so yeah, he's, and he loves you. Oh, I know. And your is. Joe loves you. He, he better love me. You. All he does is talk, <laughs> but all he does is talk about you, buddy. He I love says it. that you're one of, one of the most talented, not because you're his brother. You're one of the most talented people that he's ever met in his life. Wow. And you know, he, he loves you. I know. And I, know uh, he does. you know, you know but he's a good guy, and that's why you are a good songwriter because you you have great vibes and great chemistry with your family and your friends, and I think all of that comes out from your soul when you're writing. Oh, it has to. I think that that as a songwriter, you got to you know you have to bear it all, 
And uh, and I think you have to live a lot of life to be able to bear stuff that ha- of substance, right? As we keep going and keep living, you know, I have friends that are just retiring from songwriting. I'm like, what are you talking about? You've been doing it since you were ten and doing it bad then, but now you've got you've got a reason to write because you got so much in your rearview mirror that's so important, and 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 you're so in touch with your mortality and your past and your present and you appreciate every day to me we should only be just getting started you know and i always saw myself as being willie playing my last breath is on stage if that's the way it goes that's the way it goes but i mean i can't imagine life without writing songs and about about being able to do that and, and getting to play them so we'll end up on stage together sometime we have been with the fabulous frank d'angelo we've stolen him from canada for this little bit of time Thank you for tuning in to In a Mississippi Minute. Brother Frank, thank you so much. God bless. You too, brother. Bye-bye. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Fox on Tech. What's faster when it comes to downloading speeds, Wi-Fi or mobile networks? Your first thought may have been Wi-Fi, but in a bunch of countries, their mobile networks are kings of the castle. A study by OpenSignal titled State of Wi-Fi versus Mobile Network Experience as 5G Arrives finds that in 33 countries, smartphone users experience faster average download speeds, the complete opposite of a decade ago. The top five fastest mobile network countries, Australia, Lebanon, Qatar, Oman, and Greece. Wi-Fi is still faster in the U.S. and Hong Kong, but the study says that should change as the next generation of mobile connections like 5G rolls out. There are a few countries where there's not really a difference in mobile or Wi-Fi speeds. Hungary, Bangladesh, Belgium, and Norway. Whichever method of downloading you use, we sure have come a long way from the old days. With Fox on Tech, I'm Lillian Wu. Fox News. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.